Hi, Josh Sorrell here from Sandhill FWB Church in Sandusky, Ohio. The podcast that you're about to enjoy was given live before our congregation here at Sandhill, and we pray that this podcast will encourage and challenge your walk with Christ. For more sermons like this, as well as additional Christian content, visit our website at www.sandhillfwb.com or check out our social media pages on YouTube and Facebook, keyword Sandhill FWB Church. May God continue to richly bless your journey every step of the way. Delight myself also in the Lord, and he shall give thee the desires of thine heart. Commit thy way unto the Lord, trust also in him, and he shall bring it to pass. And you can be seated. Now, if we were to read that, it seems very clearly to say that God will give us the desires of our heart. You know, if you've been around church very long at all, been around charismatic churches very much at all, you know that uh, they like to use this to say that basically, you know, God will just give us, if you want a Cadillac, God will just give you that. You know, if you want a mansion, a yacht, you know, whatever you want, God will just give that to you. Uh, But is that really an accurate way to understand this text? Uh, So let's, let's dig a little deeper and see if we can understand it. So let's just... Let's just look at what it says. Someone asked this question. Can you be delighting in the Lord and still desiring things that God doesn't want you to have? That seems simple to me. Did you guys get that? Can, can, Can your delight be in God, but yet you're wanting things that God doesn't want you to have? can't do that right so that would say you're not delighting in the lord did did everybody follow that i lose you if you really did delight in him you wouldn't be wanting something that he doesn't want you to have if you delight in him you'll want what he wants so so you can't say you know can't twist us around some way to say that we're going to get the things that we want uh outside of 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 what is best in the eyes of God. Uh, So then the the word delight, it it is the idea of uh, um, that's where your passion is at. That is where your your greatest love is. You you, you get excited about the Lord. So we are to delight in the Lord. The the word desire, I looked it up. uh, Most of these words mean exactly what we think they do. It's just a desire. It's just, it's what you want. It's your request. Uh, Then it says, commit thy way under the Lord. And, and if you put these two verses together, which I think we do in context of uh, verse four and five, it says it gives a desire heart. Then it says, commit thy way to the Lord. And he shall bring it to pass. The word commit here was a little bit hard for me because in the, in the Hebrew, what this word means is, is it means to roll into. <laughs> I thought, <laughs> what does that mean? But then I got to thinking about it, and, and, I, and it had a different translation, everything, and it, it, it was always kind of the same idea. But what does it saying is we're 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 committing, we're we're rolling all of us into Him, right? We're committing to Him. He, he's all we have. So if we if He is the love of our life, if He is the passion of our life, and if we're committing, if we're rolling all of our life into Jesus, and there's nothing for us, it's all for Him. If we do that. He will give us the desires of our heart. Here is the problem with the charismatics. Our desires change. 
And that's what we want to preach about this morning. Our desires change. So, you read this verse, you first get saved, or maybe you're not even saved, and, you, and the preacher tells you if you just delight in the Lord, you get, he'll give you the desires of your heart and say, oh man, this is great, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go to church, I'm going to get saved, I'm going to give some money to the offering plate, I'm going to you know, I'm gonna do this and that, I'm going to be pleasing to God, and I'm going to get that new car, I'm going to get that new house, I'm going I'm to get this new vacation, God's going to give me all the things I want. But then if you understand this verse, and God becomes everything to you, and you roll all of your life into him, you all of a sudden say, that car is really not that attractive anymore. That new house, I, I can take it or leave it. Your desires change. And so will you guys have it this morning? Will you guys have it that I believe what this is saying is when we love him with all of our heart and we commit our whole life to him and we're all in for Jesus, that not only do our desires change, but we get the desires of our heart because you know what the desire of our heart is? The desire of our heart is the Lord and we get the Lord. Does that make sense? Now, is there anything better you could get than the Lord? That's the best you could get. So he's going to give you the best and the best is him. So we get him because that's our desire when we delight in him. And I think this verse, which has been used, you know, wrongfully so often, uh, is, is really quite exciting. It is just saying whenever he becomes our all in all, when he becomes our full passion, when he means everything to us, we will get the desires of our heart, which is we will get Jesus, which is the best thing we could ever have. And everything I'm learning in my life, everything that he wants to give me, is the very best I could ever have. Anybody here ever really, really wanted something, and then after you got it, you wish you never had it? <laughs> right? We've all lived long enough to do that, right? You just think, man, if I had that, life would be so good. And you get that, and like, oh, man, that, that wasn't nearly what I thought it was going to be. Right? We've all done that. But see, God knows what's good. And God knows what is right. So, so if we can hold that in our mind, that is our text, that's our thought for this morning. If we can hold that in our minds, uh, let's, let's try to um, understand how this works. So let me ask this question to you guys. Can you change your desires? Can you? Can, can you change them? So... So you, you have a desire to be better than everybody else in the church. Can you just say, I'm going to change that? No. You can't, right? You, you can't just change that. Let's say you struggle with jealousy. Let's say you struggle with anger. Say you struggle with lust, whatever it is. Can you just say, I'm going to try really hard and I'm not going to do that? Is there anybody here that's ever tried that? It, it, it doesn't work. You can't do it. You can't quit feeling you know, I talk about emotions a lot, and, and Renee has, has educated me on feelings. Feelings feel real. That's why they call them feelings, right? Even though feelings often aren't real. But how many of you know, and it doesn't matter, it's not necessarily a man or a woman thing, but how many of you know when you feel something, you can't necessarily just make yourself feel something else, right? You feel it. And so how do we change our desires, because you can't just try harder. And I think that's what we're learning here at the church. And I think that's what, what the, the, the more mature way of understanding is. Trying harder is not how we become better Christians. Dying to self and surrendering is how we become better Christians, right? So, <clears throat> you can know, I have done this. 
I hope I'm not alone. Well, I, I really wish I was alone, but I'm pretty sure I'm not. You can know, the preacher can tell you this is wrong, and you know that it's wrong, and you love Jesus, and you can't stop doing it. Am I the only one? I know this is wrong. I just can't quit doing it. I, I can't stop wanting to do it. And then I feel really guilty because I can't make myself feel the way I'm supposed to feel. Does anybody follow me? I, I can't feel what I'm supposed to feel. And I feel horrible because I love Jesus and I'm a Christian, but I, don't, I can't control my desires. I can't control my feelings. I had an aha moment. Everybody know what an aha moment is? I had an aha moment uh, last weekend, actually. And I wanted, to, I wanted to preach about that this morning. I titled the message, Crossing Jordan's River. You ever thought about all of the songs that we sing? And it'll say something like this. Um, when I get down to the Jordan River and cross over into heaven. Right? A multitude of songs that say that. And I've been with Christian saints, and they say, well, Pastor, I'm getting down close to the river. I'm just about ready to cross over Jordan's chilly waters. Anybody ever heard that? Heard a lot of preachers say, we, we, you know, we buried them, they crossed over chilly Jordan's river, and we can't go be with them until we cross over Jordan River. And so we've heard that really all of our lives. We've been learning a lot of things in church, and, and uh, this is something we, we've, we've been learning kind of on Wednesday night a little bit. Uh, but um, a lot of the people that have been in church for years and years and years are like, I've never heard this before in my life. But I had an aha moment, and I want to I show you this morning. So Josh has been teaching us this in Sunday school. This isn't a new thought. We've, we've, we've been teaching this and preaching this for years and years and years, and this is, you know, this is just what the Bible simply teaches, but it matters what we believe. Can I get an amen? It matters what we believe. So here is an accurate uh, portrayal of what the Bible talks. Talk about Israel's journey. So Israel uh, uh, goes into Egypt and, and is in bondage to the Egyptian people. They're slaves, slaves to Egypt. That represents very clearly when we are sinners. If you are a sinner, you are a slave to sin. You are a slave. To, you have no choice but to serve the devil because you are a servant of the devil. So, so Egypt represents being in Egypt or being in sin and not being saved. So through, through a lot of miracles and a lot of supernatural things, uh, God supernaturally removed Israel from Egypt. How many of you know that when we got saved, that was supernatural? It wasn't it wasn't just a decision made. God had to move heaven and earth to save us. He did a supernatural miracle and no, no less great than what he did in Egypt when he saved our soul. He brought us out of Egypt. And we look at crossing the Red Sea as being saved. So Israel comes out of Egypt and they cross the Red Sea. They're no longer in bondage and, and Pharaoh's army is, is drowned in the ocean. They're no longer captives. They are free to not live as slaves any longer. That is a perfect picture of salvation. 
When you get saved, you are free from sin. You're no longer in bondage to your old slave, and you are free not to sin. So they cross over in that. And then we learn that the children of Israel, after they came through the Red Sea, they wandered in the wilderness for 40 years. Literally, you can look at a map, literally, they just walked in circles for 40 years. Scholars tell us they could have went from the Red Sea to the Promised Land in just a matter of a very short number of days. 40 years they walked in circles. We're going nowhere. There was no victory. There was no uh, great happenings. They just were surviving. God was giving them the necessities, nothing extra. They weren't seeing miraculous uh, great things happening. God wasn't doing great things. They were wandering in the wilderness for 40 years. And then they come to the Jordan River. Moses dies. Joshua takes over. They lay down. Uh, the, the high priests go in. When their feet touch the water, the water split uh, backwards and forward. And they walk across on dry ground, across the Jordan River. And they walk into what? The promised land. The promised land. Now, where we got our doctrine all wrong is <clears throat> heaven is not the promised land. See, when you go to heaven, there's not going to be enemies there. Okay? There were giants in the promised land, and there were still fightings that had to go on, and they still had to, 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 to deal with the enemy. How many of you are, how many can we just stop right now? How many of you are glad when we get to heaven, the enemy's not going to be there? Amen? The devil won't be there. There won't be any enemies there. There won't be any sin there. Everything will be good when we get to heaven. But this is not heaven. This is the promised land. But when they went into the promised land, they were no longer wandering in the wilderness. You know, the Bible says that they, manna came down and they ate it the day before they went into the promised land. Once they went into the promised land, manna never came again. Nor did they have water out of a rock. And instantly, I mean, just a few days after they get there, Joshua walk, marches around the Jericho walls and the walls come tumbling down. And they say, hey, this is super cool. This is super cool. God, we're living in victory now. We're not living in that wandering in the wilderness. We're living in victory. And, and we had a little tangle up with AI, but then Joshua goes on to, to nearly just wipe out everyone in Canaan. God is with him. God is blessing him. God is giving him victory over and over and over. I love to read the book of Joshua because it's just one victory after another victory after another victory after another victory after another victory. That is how, that is how the promised land is. So that is not heaven. That is a victorious Christian life. Can we see that? Can, can you guys see that? Here's my aha moment. Here's my aha moment. If we believe that Jordan is death, what do we miss out on? The victorious Christian life. Look at your sheet. We get salvation, we get freed from the enemy, we walk in the wilderness for 40 years, and then we die. <laughs> okay? <laughs> here's, here's, what, here's what dawned on me, my, my aha moment. That is what we believe is exactly how a lot of Christians live their life. They get saved so they can go to heaven. They get saved so they won't have to go to hell. It's going to be miserable until I get there, but praise God, one day I'll make it to Jordan and I'm crossing over. Until then, 
rude despair and agony on end, right? It's just going to be miserable, right? Our doctrine's wrong. And here's the thing. They don't, they're never even told there is victory to be had. They're never even told you could cross over and live in victory now. They're only told if you, if you repent of your sins and you stay true to you, make it to Jordan, you get to die and go to heaven. And that's why we have so many Christians thinking, I'm saved and this is a terrible life. I just can't wait till it's over so I can go to be with Jesus. And then we really are sound spiritual when we're in church and we just talk about how horrible life is and I just can't wait to go to heaven. How many of you know that's not spiritual? That's misunderstanding God's plan because we're supposed to have uh, we're supposed to have victory now. <clears throat> so when Jordan, uh, when we have Jordan as death, point number two, there is no victorious life. You get saved. You're waiting for heaven. Life is going to be pretty miserable. Brother Miguel, I want you to, I, I was thinking about you a lot in this message, but I want you to think about this. I, I'm just kind of figuring some of these things out as I'm, as I'm processing through this message, and, and I have my aha moment. This is a hard sell. This is a hard sell. So we go up to a 20-year-old, and, we, and we, we, we tell this 20-year-old, you know, we give him the whole plan of salvation, you know, wage of sin is death, and, you know, you, you deserve to go to hell, and, and you're going to go to hell, and, you know, Jesus has a plan, and you can believe in Jesus, and you can go to heaven, you don't have to go to hell. And he says, I don't want to go to hell. Well, that's good. Well, if you'll just pray this prayer, give up everything you enjoy doing, be miserable for the next 50 years, and make it to Jordan, you get to go to heaven. And a lot of people say, uh, and here's what young people say when I was a kid all the time. I know what I'll do. I don't want to live that miserable Christian life. I'm going to wait till I'm 50, 60 years old, and I'm too old to have fun anyways, and then I'll get saved, and I get to go to heaven. And I got to have my fun, and I get to have heaven. I got it all. And why should I ruin all this fun I could have had by becoming a Christian and dying and not doing anything fun, and then I might get to go to heaven if I hang on until I make it to Jordan. Does anybody understand that's a hard sell? And Miguel's trying to convince this guy that he needs to be saved. He said, listen, I'm having a lot of fun as a sinner, and I'm just going to take my chances and come back and see me in about 30 years, and I'd be glad to get saved because signing up for that miserable life just doesn't sound all that appealing to me. But how about if we change the story and said, not only are we offering you, you don't have to go to hell, but we're going to give you the best life you could ever possibly live right now. I think some 20-year-olds might say, huh, I'm interested. Could you tell me more? See, when we make Jordan River death, there is no victorious life. There is nothing but, but misery and wandering in the wilderness, and then we die. I don't want to live that way. But I, I just want to go on record. I want to go on record. I want, the devil, I want to tell the devil this. I want to tell my Lord this. I want to tell everybody here this. I want to put it on Facebook. I want to let everybody in the world know this. I want to say, I am living the very best life I could ever dream of living because I am a Christian. I did not give up having fun. I am having fun. I did not ruin my life. I am having a great life because I am a Christian. And by the way, I've seen some of my people that I went to school with who did not become Christians, their life doesn't look so good. Drugs, alcohol, divorce, sex, uh, destroyed their body. They're 50 years old now and they, they have no health left because they destroyed it all with sin. People, this is the best life we can ever live. But we're trying to sell people 
a get out of hell ticket. If you'll give up all your fun, live a miserable life, we'll get you into heaven. That's not what the Bible says. Jesus said he come to give us life and give it to us more abundantly. What I see a lot of people living is not abundant life. It's miserable life waiting on heaven. Now, I know this is real controversial. I don't believe getting saved to keep from going to hell is a, is a real bad idea. Anybody here want to go to hell? I mean, if you want to go to hell, raise your hand. Right? I don't believe that's a real bad reason. But I also don't believe it's a bad reason to get saved to just understand the Christian life is the best life you can ever live. And, and if, if, we, if we get that twisted, see, I believe there's a lot of people, how sad is this? How, how sad is this? I believe there are a lot of people, I believe there's a lot of people I have known, there's a lot, a lot of people I have buried, that I believe they were genuinely saved, I believe they went to heaven, I believe they are in heaven today, they lived their whole, whole entire life here miserable, and I believe when they got to heaven, God said, well, this is what I wanted to give you, and they said, oh, you mean I missed out on all of that? I thought it was just about making it to heaven. And I, you know, I didn't know you were going to give me a brand new life and it was going to be great. I thought it was supposed to just be miserable until I get to heaven. Let's don't be that way. Let's enjoy being Christians. You know what? Uh, <clears throat> I know our world has changed a lot. Most of the world looks down on, on organized church and they're, you know, they're anti-church. And I get that. And us looking like Christians, what we think Christians look like, is not going to cause the world to fall down on their knees and say, I want to be saved. Not going to happen. But you know what might make them saved? If they look at Terry and Wilma, and they're 20 years old, and they say, I'd love to have what they have. Because they have a good marriage. They have a good family. They have a good church family. They enjoy life. Terry's crazy as he can be. I mean, they, they, they just, they, they just I want to I have what they have. And if they just start looking around at all the different people in church and saying, that's what I want. I want that. Not just so I don't go to hell, but because that is the best life. So if you guys are following this, this makes sense to you guys. Let, let's, let's dig a little deeper. And so that, that is Jordan as death. Um, it, it's, it's what a lot of people believe. <clears throat> they don't even know there's victory. They don't even know they're supposed to be looking for victory. So let's, look, let's just take a look at the victorious life. What does the victorious life look like? Now this is, I'm assuming there's almost nobody here that, that understands this or knows or cares about this, but if you know what's all going out there, if you've been in other churches, if you know what's going around, the word sanctified, how many, just out of curiosity, just raise your hand, how many of you know that is a very, very controversial word? Does anybody here know it's a controversial word? It's a hugely controversial word. Here's the reason why. And, and I've had some people in this church, you'd be surprised that people in this church had told me this, but there's some people in this church that told me, they said, I started coming to your church and I was really confused because you guys were always talking about sanctification and sanctified. And they were always taught that sanctification was a place you arrive at. And we always talk about it as a journey that you're going on. Okay. And, but there is a word that means sanctified. And if you're a Pentecostal church of God, you know, if you're that ilk a lot of times, there will be what they call, we became sanctified. 
That means we got saved, lived however long, really in the wilderness, and then we come to a point we became sanctified, and after that everything changed. And a lot of times that goes with speaking in tongues and you know all the other all the other fun stuff. So we're not gonna preach about that this morning. But but here's what I do want to preach about. Here's what I do want to talk about. <clears throat> One thing that has really been a stumbling block for me on, on the people who believe this is they believe in sinless perfection. Has anybody ever heard this? Am, am I alone here? That means when you get sanctified, you never sin again. Wouldn't that be awesome? Wouldn't that be awesome? I mean, if we just reach this line, once I get there, no more sin. And they'll tell you, hey, I, don't, I haven't sinned since 1979, last time I sinned, right? I haven't done anything since then, right? And I have a problem with that because I, you know, I've been around Christians enough to know that I just know we sin, right? But guys, there is a Jordan River that we ought to be reaching for. And that's what I want to really get you guys to understand this morning. In other words, I, there's, a, there's been a lot of doctrine, a lot of belief, second word of grace, all different things, that's one, and all the confusions. In, but let's just take all that off the table. Let's just move all, the, all of the cares. Let's just take all the table. And let's just look at what the Bible says. When you get saved, how many of you know when we get saved, we're a mess? Amen? Get a, get a big amen? That, that was me. But how many of you know there's something better than that? We've been talking a lot around here about the milk and the meat and about maturity and sanctification and all those different things. But as we journey on our trip, there is a Jordan River I, that I want all of us to cross over. And it is not dying. It is starting to live. Will anybody have that? It's starting to live. And, and once we make it to that Jordan River, I don't believe we're going to be sinless. But I do believe things are going to change. Because the difference in Israel when they stepped over from the wilderness into the promised land was daylight and dark. It was completely different after that. Josh has been teaching us that, that at Jordan River that, that the flesh died and, the, and we went over in the spirit. And so here's an interesting, I'm getting my outline all messed up, but here's an interesting thought. I've read a ton of books on this and, and it's been a, something I've really struggled with for many, many, many years. But here's an interesting thought. I know I'm messing my outline up. I apologize to uh, Richard and the other ones of you that care. But, <clears throat> but here, here, here's what I want to show you. If we read, here's an interesting thought. If we read the seventh chapter of Romans, how many knows what seventh chapter of Romans is? What I would do, I don't do. What I don't want to do, I do. I'm, I'm all the time doing one of the things I don't want to do. Paul is wrestling with his flesh. Paul is saying, I know what's right, but I keep sinning. I know I shouldn't do that, but I did it anyway. I know I should have started, but I didn't do it. And he's, he's wrestling. He says, I know what's right, but I'm not doing it. I'm sinning. He's, I'm struggling with my flesh. But then we get to the eighth chapter of Romans, and I've heard so many preachers, and I would agree with this, but I've heard so many preachers say that the eighth chapter of Romans, if you could pick one chapter in the entirety of the Word of God, the eighth chapter of Romans is the best chapter in all of the Word of God. But when we get to the best, the 8th chapter of Romans, we are now living in the Spirit instead of battling in the flesh. See, Paul in, in chapter 7 says, I'm just, I want to do good and I'm not. And I, I'm just constantly falling down. In Romans chapter 8, it's, it's, there's, there's none of that. It's, it's living in the Spirit. And so, I know all of that was probably confusing, so let's get it where you can understand it. Let, let's, get, let's get where we can get a handle on this. I'm trying to put this in terms that, that you guys will be able to, to, to really get a hold of. <clears throat> so I want to offer a, an idea. I've never really heard anybody preach this or anybody say this. It just, it just kind of, I guess as Gary's thinking, you can take it or leave it. We talked about uh, 
Delight thyself in the Lord, and he shall give you the desires of thine heart. We talked about committing our, our ways to the Lord, and he'll bring it to pass. We talked about that we can't change our desires, uh, but how many of you know our desires is the problem, right? Our desires are, is the problem. Um, <clears throat> so let's try to get an understanding of how this works. I want to look at desires now. Sinners desire to sin. Can I get an amen? amen? Can I tell you they're supposed to? You say he went out and got blasted. He's supposed to. He lies all the time. That's what he's supposed to do. He's a cusser. He, he's, he's fornicator. He's a this, he's a that. He's, he's mad all the time. Listen, sinners like to sin. It's kind of in the job description, right? Sinners sin. So we shouldn't be surprised. The dumbest thing I've ever seen, people trying to get sinners to stop sinning. Listen, if they stop sinning, they're still going to go to hell. You don't try and get them to stop sinning. You just try and get them to get saved, right? But sinners desire to sin. That's what they do. But then we, we get them saved. So now you are not a sinner, but you are genuinely saved. And I need you guys to work with me on this. But how many of you know after you get saved, you still desire to sin? I've heard some people say it's even fun to sin after you get saved. Okay? We desire to sin. Do you know why that is? Yesterday I was living completely in the flesh. Today I'm saved, but my flesh is still very strong. My flesh still, enjoy, and for 30 years, 20 years, 40 years, I've been enjoying sin. And now all of a sudden my flesh says, I want to continue enjoying my sin. So you have a desire to sin. So you start going to church and you get saved and they start telling you, that, you know, you need to quit cussing, you need to quit drinking, you need to quit, you know, uh, fornicating, you need to quit doing all these things. You know, you got to stop getting mad. You got you to start doing all these things. And you're thinking, well, I'm a Christian. I probably should start doing that, but I still really want to. I'll quit drinking, but man, I'd love to go get drunk. I'll quit running around with women, but I'd love to go run around with women. You know, and, 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 and that's kind of the, and maybe nobody wants to say that out loud, but I've been around a long No, that, that's how it works, people. When you first get saved, you still have a lot of desire. And you say, well, I, haven't, I never drank alcohol and I never ran around with women. That's fine, but you had a sin you like to do. You like to stay mad all the time. You like to run your mouth. You, you, you were prideful. You, 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 were just, you, you had a sin. It, we all have different sins, but everybody likes to sin. So when you first get saved, you have that desire to sin. I would like to offer after that, we're just kind of going through stages of, of, of our desires as we are, are saved. I would like to offer that the next stage we come to, which I've seen a lot of people in this church in that stage, in this stage right now, you start really desiring to be pleasing to God. So you've been going to church for six months. You've been going to church for 20 years. Whatever the, whatever the number is, you've been saved for a long time, for a short time. You come to a point where you say, you know what? Um, ever since I've been saved, I've really been wanting to sin a lot, but I really would like to get closer to God. And the preacher starts preaching things, and you start listening, and you say, man, I really want to get close to God. And you come to the altar, and you tell God you're going to do it. And the preacher says you shouldn't be mad all the time. You say, oh, man, i got to stop. i got to control my temper. i got to stop being mad all the time. And then the preacher tells you you shouldn't be looking at women. And you think, oh, man, I, I need to really get a handle on that. And then the preacher tells you you need to come to church. And the preacher tells you you need to, and you start, you got all these things you start needing to do. And you say, oh, man, i, I got to start. So then what you do is you start conforming your outward life where you're, you're coming to church when you're supposed to. You're not getting mad all the time. You're, you're conforming all the things that you're supposed to be doing. 
But guess what? You still want to. Is anybody following me? You still want to. You still, do, you still want to do those sins. You're controlling them, but you still want to do them. Because Christians are supposed to not sin, so you say, I'll do what the preacher says, but I can't fix my desires. Are you following me? But then we come to the next stage, and, and this, is, this is really kind of mind-blowing. This is exciting. This is Jordan River. I believe the next stage we can come to is we don't desire to sin anymore. And let me just stop you right there so you don't get, misunderstand me. I'm not talking, if I was to ask everybody here, whether you're, whether you're a new convert or whether you've been saved longer than anybody in this church, if I was to ask every last person here, do you desire to not sin? I think we'd have 100% say, I desire to never sin again. It's not entirely true. I believe that we don't want to sin, but I believe our flesh very much enjoys sinning. Okay? And what we mean is, I want to be pleasing to the Lord, but my flesh really, really has a good time sinning. Okay? So, I'm not talking about that. Here's what I'm talking about. I'm talking about crossing Jordan River and getting to the place where my flesh doesn't want to go back to Egypt anymore. You know when they were in the wilderness, you know what they said? Times got a little tough and they said, we should have stayed in Egypt. At least we had onions and leeks to eat. I've always thought, who wants to eat onions and leeks? But anyways, that was what they were going to go back to. I mean, we were getting beat daily, and we had to work all the time, and we were slaves, and we never had anything of our own. But hey, let's go back to that. You know, that's, that's the way a lot of times Christians are. They get saved, and they get to look back, and they think, you know, I had it better when I was lost. Brother Miguel was mentioning the, the, the gentleman that got saved, and he says, life falling apart. You know, a lot of times that's what happens. You get saved, and life just falls apart. And then they say, you know what? I was better off being a sinner than I am being a Christian. But what about when we get to the place where sin is no longer our desire, but we want to please the Lord. Now, I'm going to try and help you with that. I, I don't know if that made sense to you at all, uh, but I, I, want to, I want to try and put that into words we can understand. I want to read one text to you before I go into the uh, application. 1 John chapter 5, um, let me just read it to you. It's a very, very familiar scripture. But think of what this says. 1 John 5, 3, it says, For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments and his commandments are not grievous to us. How can his commandments not be grievous? I want to do this and God says, I can't do this and I will obey God, but I still want to do this. Are you following me? How do you get to where you don't want to do that anymore? Can I just tell you, you can't do that for yourself. You can't fix yourself. So this says, I looked up that word grievous in the Greek. It means burdensome. It means heavy. It is a, it is a chore to you to do it. So I will keep the commandments of God, but I don't really want to. I, I won't go there, but I'd really like to. I'll be a good Christian, but I'd really like to do that. Let's just be honest. Brother Terry, please don't raise your hand. Right, let's just be real honest. How many of you ever, and maybe when we were younger, maybe not now, but maybe when we were younger, how many of you ever as a Christian looked at those sinners and said, man, that looks like so much fun. That looks, you ain't going to shake your head. You're going to want the preacher to see it. I'll shake my head. Okay. That looks like a lot of fun what they're doing. Girls everywhere drinking, partying. I mean, just, that looks like fun. And I'm a Christian and I'm not going to do it. But man, it sure looks like it'd be a lot of fun to do that. 
Am I the only one who wants to say that? You guys are so sanctified, you never thought that way. All right? You never had those thoughts. So what if we come to the place where we say, that no longer appeals to me, and I have no desire to go back there. Jordan River crossed over. This is a short little rabbit trail, and then then I'll try to give you some application here. It has been taught, I've taught it, it's been taught in this church, it's been taught by almost every church in the country. Back in the 90s, this is how every preacher preached, if you were a good conservative church. This is what we taught. My mind has changed on this belief, by the way. But what we always taught is we, we taught separation, which means if you're a Christian and you get near the world, they will suck you out and you'll never come back. So stay away from the world because you can't handle them. They'll get you. Right? That was always the message. So if you're a young person, don't go anywhere near a, a lost person. If you're, if you're a Christian, you know, you're working in the dark, you stay away from all them lost people because they'll, they'll corrupt you. Well, truth is, looking back, it was true. And I've heard preachers, I think I've said this before, but I've heard preachers say this. Give me one illustration of where someone started being around the world and they didn't get drawn out into the world. You know what? That's true. I have spent a lot of my life, almost every Christian I ever saw, if they start hanging around the world, they get sucked right out into the world. But what about if we could start putting out Christians who no longer have a desire for Egypt? Who, when they're around things that shouldn't be around, when they're around sinful things, they're not thinking, man, I wish I could do that. That looks like something. They're thinking, oh, God, I want to help these people get saved. I want to help these people get away from this. It's evil. It's wicked. What if we could put out people who are strong enough to say, I love Jesus. My desire is no longer in this world. And that's not a temptation for me. So, let, so let's see if we can get, maybe, maybe if you're not following, maybe these applications will help you. And so I got some, some real life application I want to just run. If you have, a, you can look back at your outline and try to make this make sense. Uh, don't, don't get your Bibles out and put them away. I'm not done yet. Uh, but I, I want to put this in, in some real clear language where we understand it. So I'm going to give you a, a few different uh, illustrations of sin. And then we're going to look at how, um, how you handle it when you very first get saved, how you handle it when you're battling with the flesh, and how you handle it when you cross over Jordan. Understood? Is that easy enough to get? So, <clears throat> someone does you wrong. All right? Anybody here ever been done wrong? Let, let, let's just up the ante a little bit. Someone does your kids wrong. Someone does your kids wrong. Right? <laughs> Bessie, someone does your grandkids wrong. I mean, get the 12 gauge out, right? It's over, right? So someone does you wrong. You've just got saved. You're in that first stage. You've crossed over the Red Sea. You're living in the wilderness. You're on your way to heaven. Your sins are gone, but you just love to sin. And someone does you wrong. Church, what do we do? We beat the snot out of them. We tell them off. We act like a heathen. There's no difference between us and the worst sinner. We, we sometimes we'll even cuss them out. We'll do it. We'll just yell and scream and rant and rave and be hateful and be mad for three weeks and won't speak to them. We do what our flesh wants to do because we desire to do what our flesh wants to do. And then we move to the next stage. And the next stage, my preacher keeps telling me that I need to watch my anger. And the preacher keeps telling me Christians shouldn't get mad. And preacher keeps telling me that Christians don't act that way. So someone does me wrong. Someone does Rachel wrong. And I bite my tongue. And I smile at them. And I don't yell at them. And I say, I love you. But I go home and I want to claw their eyes out. 
and I'm so mad I just want to rip their lungs right out of their throat. And I, and I just lay in bed of thinking ways I want to torture them. But hey, I didn't do anything bad at church. I was nice while I was there. I looked like a Christian. Had my suit on when I did it. I looked like a Christian. I hate their guts, but I was nice when I did it. See, my flesh still desires to do what it always did, but I'm controlling it from doing it. Are you guys following? Well, what if I cross over Jordan? Some of you go say, this is not possible. What if I cross over Jordan? One of you hurt Callan. And if you're a grandparent, you know what that, what that is. And not putting on a show, and not acting like a Christian, and not being what I'm supposed to be, but genuinely in my heart, I forgive you, and I love you, and I want what's best for you. No animosity, no hating your guts, no wanting to claw your eyes out. I love you, and I want, I want what's best for you. See, Jesus was hanging on the cross, drove the nails in his hands, drove his feet in his hands. He's, he's, he's getting ready to take uh, our hell for us. The soldier had just nailed him there. They'd scourged him. He did all that. And you know what he said? Father, forgive them. They don't understand what they're doing to me. There wasn't animosity. There wasn't hatefulness. There wasn't meanness. There wasn't, oh, if I could get off here, I would let you have it. You know, no, there wasn't. It was, I love you. I forgive you. You didn't understand what you were doing. You don't understand how bad that hurt me. I love you. And we say, well, he was, you know, he was, he was 100% God. So, I mean, you know, I kind of reason. What about Stephen? How many of you know Stephen wasn't 100% God? Now, have you ever thought about stoning? That would not be fun, Kevin. I mean, they take rocks and they throw them at you. Not for the intent of killing you, for the intent of making it hurt really bad. And they throw them and they throw them. And how many rocks does it take to you to go unconscious till it kills you? I don't know. But I'm just guessing they start with your leg or they start with your arm or they start with your ribs. They don't go start with a headshot, right? They want you to suffer. And for a long time, they're hitting you with rocks and hitting you with rocks. And it is, it is hurting. They're killing you. And they hate you. And they're calling you bad names. They're mocking you. And you look up at Stephen and say, Father, forgive them. Don't hold this against them. You say, it's not possible. Wouldn't it be awesome to go to a church full of Jordan crossers? Because I've been to church with the other kind, Right? I've been with the kind that just go ahead and act out and they act like the devil right here. And I've been with the kind that bite their tongue, but they really want to lash out. But what would it be like to go to church with those that say, when you do us wrong, I'm going to act like a Christian because I want to. My desire has changed. I got my desire, which is the Lord, and that's all I need. So let's look at this. Let's look at another illustration. <clears throat> You women can just go to sleep or doodle or play on your phone or get on Facebook, whatever you want to do. But what about this, guys? The preacher tells us we're not supposed to be looking at other women. Gosh, you know, seriously. Right? And, and here I am, there's this gorgeous woman, and she's hardly got any clothes on, and I see her, and I'm looking at her. Now, if I just got saved, what am I thinking? Guys, you know what I'm thinking. Right? And I'm going home thinking about it. And I'm going to bed thinking about it, and I'm dwelling on it, and I'm thinking about it, and I'm fantasizing about it. And I'm a Christian, but I'm thinking about it because that's really what I want to do. And then I go a little farther, and the preacher keeps getting on to me, keeps getting on to me, keeps getting on to me, and keeps telling me Christians don't supposed to do that, and I'm just tired of feeling guilty every time I go to church. So I see her coming, and she's coming out there. She don't hardly have any clothes on, and she is absolutely gorgeous. And I turn my head. And I don't look, and I close my eyes, and I don't see her go by. But brothers, what's going through my mind? 
I want to look so bad I can't stand it. I want to look so bad I can't stand it. I didn't look because that's what Christians do. I turn my head, but man, I really want to see. I really want to look. But guys, what about when we cross Jordan and I see her coming down the road with almost no clothes on and I think, oh God, have mercy on her soul. God, would you save her? She didn't realize how vile she's, 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 she's just uh, using her body for, for vile reasons. Oh God, help her. And there's not that, oh, I want to look at her. I want to lust at her. I want to have these thoughts. There is a, a looking at it like God would. Do you, reckon, do you guys think that Jesus ever possibly saw some things he shouldn't have, some things come across his eyes that he shouldn't have seen? I believe Jesus looked at it the way a Christian is supposed to look at it. He, he, he was able to. And, and, and you sisters sitting here, you know, this is what, I think Renee after 30 some years has finally figured this out. But here's what Renee used to always say, well, just stop doing it. Right? Just, just love Jesus and quit doing it. Well, you just quit getting your feelings hurt every time something happens then. Right? It's the exact same thing. Right? What I'm saying is when you're a woman, you can say, well, just love Jesus and don't look. But what I'm saying is we all have those desires of the flesh. We need to overcome those. And when we cross Jordan, I believe, guys, we can get to the place where when she's coming down the road, we're thinking, oh, God, have mercy on her soul. God, help her not to ruin her whole life by using her body for evil, wicked things. And, and, and so we, 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 we grow and we come to a place where our desires no longer rule us. What about this one? Real quick, a couple more. You get hurt in church. Anybody ever get hurt in church? Anybody never got hurt in church? Wait, we're going to. If you haven't yet, we're going to. But listen, anybody ever get hurt in church? Anybody, get, anybody, anybody ever a pastor do something horrible? You had confidence in him, he just did something horrible. You, you had someone in church you really looked up to and they just really let you down. And some big church split, something happened, and you're just really, really hurt. Now, if that happens and you just got saved, what do you do? You rip the pastor's head off. You scream and yell and rant and rave and carry on like a heathen, and, and you do just like the world does. If you've been saved while on your battle, what do you do? You bite your tongue, you don't say anything, you go home and you dwell on it till it eats you alive, right? Because you really want to let him have it. But what about if we cross Jordan and something really bad happens in the church and we say, the church needs me. I'm going to be a man of God and I'm going to go forward. Don't care what anybody else did. I don't care what wrong was done. I love Jesus and I'm not going to give in to the flesh. Are you guys getting this? Changing our desires, cha changing our wants, changing how, how we look at things, changing all of that, it, it, it totally changes everything. Lastly, let me give you this one real quick, and then and we'll, we'll, try to, we'll try to bring it in for a landing. There, there are so many, and if you understand what I'm doing, it's pretty easy to do this with any sin you have, whether it be you know, pride, jealousy, lust, uh, you know, what, whatever the sin may be, it's real easy to do this. But what about this one? Because this one's very applicable. It's applicable to us right now in this church. But what about when life falls apart? Does that ever happen? Life ever just absolutely fall apart? <laughs> the old saying, the wheels came off. I mean, it's just like life's going good and just, right, just falls apart. We've all had that happen. So if you're just first saved, what are you going to do? You're just going to absolutely fall apart, right? You're, you're woe is me, and it's, you know, why is this happening to me, and life is so bad, and I can't hold my head up, and it's just horrible. But then, but then you go to the second stage. Now you're fighting the flesh. So what do you do? You smile. You say, life is good. I love Jesus. God's always good. And on the inside, you're thinking, I don't know why he's doing this to me, and I don't think it's going to turn out, and life is miserable, and I'm dying, but I'm smiling, 
right? But what about if we could say, life just fell apart, but genuinely, I believe God. Is it, can we do that? Can we cross Jordan? Um, I think it's all right to say this. I hope it's all right to say this. <clears throat> but Renee uh, has been talking to Missy a lot, and a lot of you don't even know who that is, but um, good friends of ours, and that's about as devastating a news as you can get. I mean, it, it's, it, it's bad news. Missy's doing great. She's, God's got this. It's not a fake, I'm trying to fake it, make it look like I'm Christian. It's, it's going to be all right. Can we cross Jordan, guys? And when life falls apart, can, can we ever come to the place where he's delivered us the last 47 times? Maybe he's going to deliver us this time. And instead of just falling apart, we say, I stepped over Jordan. And I can't imagine how this will work out, but I believe God. We pray that this message has stirred your soul as you continue on for Christ. If you've been blessed by this sermon, we encourage you to share this podcast with others that we made together and embolden each other for the kingdom cause. To listen to Sandhill Sermons live, you can join us Sundays at 11 o'clock on Facebook and YouTube. You can also find additional content such as our Steadfast Studies podcast or the NOYC Godcast for Youth provided by Sandhill for spiritual growth of all ages. These can be found at sandhillfwb.com or on all major podcast platforms. May God continue to richly bless your journey every step of the way.